judge the living and the dead, comfort you in all distress and persecution with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Beloved of the Lord, we have been considering in recent weeks the incarnation or birth of Jesus Christ, his two natures. We have considered his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. These are all past historical events. But now we turn our attention to the present and to the future. What is Christ doing now, and what will he do in the future? And the Catechism reminds us that he is now at the right hand of the Father. He is uh, seated at God's right hand. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, it speaks about how God uh, raised him by his immeasurable power, his great uh, infinite power, raised him, and seated him at his right hand. And again in uh, Colossians uh, 3, verse uh, 1, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. But uh, he's not just sitting there. (laughs) He's uh, doing things because he's sitting uh, next to the Father on a throne. And the Father has entrusted all authority to him and all judgment to him. And so Jesus is now reigning. Uh, He is exercising the authority that the Father has entrusted to him. And we want to look tonight at three expressions of the exercise of the authority which Jesus is now engaged in. What is he doing with the authority that the Father has bestowed upon him? And the first thing is, uh, he is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Uh, he, is, uh, he is head of the body, we read in uh, our text, verse 18, Colossians 1:18. Christ is the head of the body. And the word head there means an authority over, uh, just as head of state in our uh, expressions means uh, the uh, the person who's in charge, the person who has the highest position of authority is the head of state. So Jesus is the, the head of state of the church. When the Apostle Peter in his first epistle, the fifth chapter, uh, addresses the elders, he tells them to uh, take care of the flock over which they have been placed. And when they uh, are good shepherds, shepherding the flock... Then when the chief shepherd appears, he will bestow upon the faithful elders a crown of glory. But there are elders, and then there's the chief, the chief elder, or the chief shepherd. There's shepherds, and then chief shepherd. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. He's the one in charge of the church. Now, he doesn't rule the church arbitrarily. He rules it according to his Father's will. He does all things in accordance with the Father's will. 
And he does not rule in a harsh way, because the church is his own body, for whom he laid down his life. He loves the church. He cares for the church. He has compassion upon the church. And he works all things together for the good of the church. He's not a uh, tyrannical ruler, but he is a very benevolent ruler, a very kind and loving ruler who rules wisely and well. He rules by his word and spirit. Christ's word through the apostles and uh, prophets of the Old Testament is uh, the rule of the church. These things are to be done in accordance to what has been revealed, revealed in God's Word. We are not governed by uh, putting our finger to the wind to see which way the cultural winds are blowing and then uh, follow the lead of society. Uh, Many, uh, sadly, many churches, sadly, are uh, struggling uh, to keep up with the times, perhaps uh, 20 years behind the times in the, in the world's point of view. But uh, I hope that our church is uh, much more than 20 years behind the times, not uh, at all trying to catch up, but is got our eye fixed on Christ's rule for the church, which is his word. And that word is uh, made active and dynamic in our lives by the work of the Spirit on uh, Pentecost. Sunday, uh, when Peter delivered his first uh, sermon, he uh, spoke of Jesus exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Uh, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He received the Spirit, and then he poured out the Spirit on the church and all the activity of the apostles who uh, are under The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is spirit-empowered work, taking the word which Christ has given them and putting it into practice in the life of the church. He is, uh, uh, from his position of power and rule, dispensing the gifts upon the members of the church. He has uh, given to believers the gift of life and faith, whereby they have been born again and become believers and become engrafted into the body of Christ and uh, grafted onto Christ the vine so that we, by the power of the Spirit, can begin to bear fruit to God's honor and glory. He bestows on the church the gift of love and mercy by which we learn to love Him and love others who belong to Him and to uh, love as we have been loved and to forgive as we have been forgiven. He bestows upon the church wisdom and knowledge whereby we are able to know what pleases him and what we ought to do. He bestows on us gifts of hope and confidence so that when we face trials, we can do so without despair, but instead uh, with the sure confidence that he will indeed uh, bring all things together for our good. One of his Christ's great gifts to the church through the Spirit is that he has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors and teachers and elders and deacons for the building up of the body of Christ and for preparation for ministry by all. Uh, These two are God's gift to the church, and the uh, pastors and teachers whom he gives to us are not only 
the uh, the pastor of your congregation, but uh, the pastors and teachers of past generations whose words and works continue to inspire the church down through the ages. We look back especially to the time of the Reformation, but also to great lights in church history even before the Reformation who have uh, written and uh, about whom things were written, and we still learn from them. Uh, remember your teachers, the author of uh, the book of Hebrews says. Uh, remember your teachers, the teachers who have now passed on. He wants them to be remembered, uh, to remember their words, remember their works, and uh, what they taught you. And so uh, we continue to be taught by uh, the great lights of church history, as well as by the men whom God has placed in this congregation uh, in terms of elders and deacons and pastors. Because Christ is the head of the church, we must submit to him. We uh, must submit our lives to those whom God has placed over us in the church, submissive to the word, obeying it carefully. Samuel brought God's word to King Saul, and Saul took it under advisement, did some of what Samuel said God wanted him to do, but then decided to do some other things as well and leave some things undone. And it was the undoing of King Saul that he did not diligently follow and submit to the word of God as it was given unto him. We must learn from that. We must be uh, submissive to the work of the Spirit. God has given you spiritual gifts. And part of being submissive to Christ is to take your spiritual gifts and use them for the building up and for the encouragement of others. This morning we were privileged to see the spiritual gifts that God has given to little children to be able to sing. And uh, the spiritual gifts that God has given to Sunday school teachers and catechism teachers who are using their spiritual gifts to encourage the children uh, who uh, in turn encourage all of us with their their songs and their verses and so forth. Uh, We are together using the gifts that God has given us and building each other up. And it's not just Sunday school teachers and catechism teachers, but it's uh, musicians and janitors and secretaries and uh, librarians and people who help in the kitchen with the cookies and the coffee and I shouldn't have started now because I started a list and I'm sure to leave some off, but you can fill in the list. These are all things that members of the congregation contribute to the life of the church financially with their prayers and so forth. Everybody has a place by which they can submit to Christ by taking the gifts that he has given you and using them for the building up of the body of Christ. We must also be submissive to those whom God has placed over us. The author Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, It's sadly the case that sometimes we are uh, resentful of the fact that we have elders to whom we must uh, give an account. But uh, remember that they, too, have to give an account to the chief shepherd for their works, and uh, we need to uh, honor them and submit to them. Paul, writing in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who 
labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. This is a a constant thing because we live in a a constant uh, rankling to us because we live in a very anti-authoritarian age. And we have to remember that the church of Jesus Christ is a church that is under authority, Christ's authority. Christ rules us by his word and spirit, and he delegates that authority to uh, others in the church to whom we are also called to be submissive for his sake. Uh, We tell little children, obey mother and father, because when you obey mother and father, you honor God. And we say to the parishioners, obey the elders, because when you obey the elders, you are obeying God who has placed them over you. We have to remember that the the great temptation, the first temptation, is a constant temptation and one that we have to fight every day of our lives. Satan said, you can become like God, knowing good and evil. How does God know good and evil? God knows good and evil by self-determination, by reference to no one other than himself. There is not some cosmic law written in the universe that God has to submit to. He is the living embodiment of the law. Uh, He is the highest authority. And Satan said, wouldn't you like to be like that? Wouldn't you like not to have to answer to anybody? Wouldn't you like to be a law unto yourself? And Adam and Eve said, uh, yeah, we'd like to be like that. We want to not have to answer to anybody, not have to be under authority, not have to have someone else tell us what is right and wrong. We'd like to be able to determine that for ourselves. Adam and Eve gave in to that temptation. And sadly, we often give in to it as well, but there is forgiveness And there are mercies that are new every morning, and we can begin this day and every new day to give ourselves to saying, Not my will, but thy will be done, dear Heavenly Father. Well, Christ exercises his authority by being head of the church. That's one expression of the authority that the Father has given to him. A second expression of the authority that the Father has given to him is that he is the ruler of of the world. He's the head of the church, but he's also the ruler of the world, supreme in the world, because he is called in this passage from First Corinthians First Colossians or from Colossians one, he is called the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Now what does that mean? Well in ancient uh, Israel uh, the firstborn son Uh, held a a position of honor in the family. He received a uh, a double portion of uh, the inheritance, for example, in the parable of the prodigal son, where the father has uh, two sons. Uh, The firstborn would receive uh, two-thirds of the estate, and the younger brother would receive uh, one-third of the estate. Uh, If if they divided it, this was a parable, so it's uh, not... uh, that's not an important detail, but if it had been done according to Mosaic law, that's, that's how it would have been done. And uh, it was the firstborn son's job to carry on the father's business. 
And often the father would entrust the business to the son while the son was still living. As uh, even King David entrusted the work, uh, much of the work uh, of uh, ruling uh, when he was old and sick and uh, gave uh, some of it to Solomon and saw his son installed while he was still living. Uh, that was the firstborn job's, uh, son's job, is to carry on the father's work and uh, take care of his father's widow if uh, his uh, father should die before uh, his mother and uh, any other relatives. Uh, he was the, the kinsman redeemer who would come and rescue you if you got into trouble, if you uh, got into debt or whatever. He was the one that uh, you went to. He he was in charge of the family, the patriarch of the family, the, the, the heir apparent who would uh, take over upon his father's uh, passing or when his father entrusted the work to him. Well, that, uh, that, that was a position that was generally given to the eldest son. But it wasn't always given to the eldest son. Uh, Reuben was the firstborn son of uh, Jacob, but Reuben sinned terribly, and so the position of firstborn was given to Joseph. Uh, Joseph was second to last born, but he still had the position. And that's what we're talking about here when we talk about Jesus. He has a, a position. He has a job to be the firstborn of all creation, to be the ruler of the creation. The Father entrusts all of this to him. Uh, even though he's not the firstborn human, he is uh, the first. Son of God, he's the eternal second person of the Trinity and the eternal Son of God. Uh, he became human after there were already many other humans in the world. He became a son uh, born of the flesh after many other sons had been born of the line of Abraham and so forth. But that doesn't stop him from holding the position of firstborn over all creation. Uh, he has been uh, given the, the right to rule all creation, and uh, it is his inheritance, the, the creation is his inheritance from the Father. Satan understood this. When Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he, uh, he said, you know, these kingdoms there, they belong to you, and, and you can have them right now if you bow down and worship me. You know, you can be my vice regent, you can be my... Uh, firstborn uh, uh, serving me. Just bow down and worship me. Uh, they weren't, these nations weren't rightfully Satan's. He was a usurper, but uh, he thought he could tempt Jesus to uh, bypass the painful path of suffering and death on the cross. Just bow down and worship Satan now, and, and you can enter into your inheritance right away. Uh, but that wasn't uh, to be the case. Uh, Jesus resisted that temptation and uh, went the cross, and now the Father has uh, installed him uh, on the throne. Uh, we read in uh, Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords of, of, from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, and now this is Christ speaking, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. And uh, so indeed the Father has, uh, at the uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, installed Christ as king and given him uh, all the nations of the earth. And from there he uh, is ruling in the book of Revelation. The 11th chapter, verse 15, we read, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And just before his ascension, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, he is uh, indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of the earth. He is the rock not cut by human hands that has grown into, that has destroyed the kingdoms of this earth and then grown into a mountain, into a kingdom that uh, fills the heavens and the earth. The uh, Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way thereof. He will lift up his heel. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is reigning until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is a great comfort to, uh, to us that uh, the world is not able to destroy the church. I, uh, I meant earlier tonight, uh, to uh, before the congregational prayer, I tell you a little bit about something I was going to pray about, and because I didn't tell you about it, I didn't pray about it very much. But uh, our sister churches in Canada are undergoing a great deal of persecution right now. Uh, the cultural climate in Canada is very much anti-Christian. Uh, you know, they have a Supreme Court like we have a Supreme Court, but they don't have a conservative majority. They don't have a, a single conservative justice on the Supreme Court. And all of their uh, uh, prime minister and uh, the majority party in the parliament, they're all liberal. And they are all very much anti-Christian and very open about it. And now the government has uh, used the COVID crisis as a way to crack down on the churches to let uh, bars be open, to let uh, liquor stores be open, but to say to the churches, you can't even meet in a parking lot with your windows closed and uh, listen to the preacher over the car radio or over your smartphones. There was a church, not one of our churches, but a church in Manitoba, uh, Canada, that was uh, fined $23,000 for having a parking lot worship service. And it's it's winter there. They they kept their windows closed just to keep the the cold from uh, out of the car, you know, and they they didn't uh, get out of the car and fellowship with each other, but they were fined twenty three thousand dollars. 
And then uh, last Sunday morning in Abbotsford, uh, uh, British Columbia, the Abbotsford United Reformed Church, our sister congregation, was meeting in worship, and three, uh, three police cars pulled into the parking lot after the service had started. Three uh, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, got out, and the uh, chairman of council, they're presently vacant, but the chairman of council went out and met them, and uh, he was given a ticket, uh, and the ticket was a fine, a fine for $2,100 because they had violated the uh, edict that uh, there were to be no worship services. And the police didn't go in and disrupt the service or prevent it from or stop the service. But uh, the elders uh, met and the council met briefly after the service before dismissing the congregation and talked about it and then went to the congregation and, and told the congregation, the, uh, these officers said that uh, if we choose to uh, come again for worship, they will be back and they will fine every person in attendance. Well, the congregation took a vote, and they voted unanimously to attend their next worship service, which was that evening, and they did. Uh, We think the police didn't realize that this church met twice on Sunday. They probably came back today uh, to see if they were still worshiping, but they were undisturbed for their next worship service that evening. But they feel compelled that they're, they're being commanded to sin, uh, they're being commanded to not worship. And uh, they have a command from God to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. You know, the, the call to worship that is in the numerous calls to worship talk about coming together. And uh, when the government forbids that, uh, it's uh, telling them to uh, preach no more in the name of Jesus. And they say, who should we obey, God or man? Uh, These are our sister churches that are experiencing this in British Columbia and also in Ontario. And uh, we need to pray for them. Uh, But when things like this happen, what comfort do we have? Well, we have the comfort that, that God is on the throne. And I read to you Psalm 93, and it talked about the mighty waters and the the waves of the sea and how God is mightier than the mighty waters and mightier than the waves of the sea. Uh, the mighty waters represent the unbelieving nations of the earth, the unbelieving peace, peoples of the earth. The, these waves of the sea beat against each other, and they especially beat against the shore. And God has said, I have set a boundary to the sea. This is how far you can go, and you can go no further. And uh, we have that comfort that he's on the throne, he is ruling, and Yes, he allows Christians to be persecuted. Right now, it's financial fines that our churches are threatened with in Canada. It could soon come to be imprisonment as well uh, of the leaders of the church for uh, calling for these services. Uh, But uh, we know that there are Christians in other parts of the world, particularly where there are Muslim governments, where Christians are being killed for their faith, being murdered for their faith, martyred for the faith. And uh, God does allow that. But he doesn't allow uh, anything to separate us from his love. And in life and death, he promises to, uh, that we belong to him and that he will take care of us. Uh, we uh, know that he has promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul wrote to the Romans uh, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will crush 
Satan under your feet. Revelation 17 verse 14 says, They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Suffering is part of our present calling. And often Christ permits His people to suffer and to be put to death. But the world can only do what Christ allows, and he never allows them to cause any of his elect to fall away and be lost, and he never allows the world to be without a faithful witness in its midst. There's a war going on, not just a cultural war, but a war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And you, you need to make sure you're on the right side. The side of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because you can be sure His side is going to win. But we don't just want to be on His side because uh, we want to be on the winning side. We want to be on His side because He has loved us. And Jesus Christ has given His life for us and paid for our sins to enable us to escape, escape the wrath to come. Which brings us to the third exercise of Christ's authority. The Father has bestowed all authority in heaven on earth upon him, and he exercises that authority, I said, in three ways. The first way, he's head of the church. Second, he's the head of the world, the firstborn of all creation. And thirdly, his third ex- exercise of power is that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. His authority can be seen in the fact that the ascended Christ will return, and when he returns, he will exercise judgment. We've read from the Gospel of John in recent weeks that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, and he has proven that uh, he will judge by uh, raising Christ from the dead. Now, this should not frighten you who are believers, for the judge who is coming is the very one who submitted himself to judgment on your behalf, in your place, so that you could be exempt from it. He is the one who has paid for our sins, and therefore we need not be afraid. Although our consciences continue to accuse us of being sinners, we know that as far as the Father is concerned, he sees only the perfect righteousness and satisfaction of Jesus Christ, which has been credited to us, and on that uh, we uh, stand. Uh, We are clothed in Christ's white robes, and when he gathers his people, uh, we will be vindicated, not condemned. Also, we shouldn't be afraid, because on that day, all his enemies and ours will be removed from ever being able to trouble us again. You know, the thought of a final judgment, uh, a final exam, so to speak, is, uh, is frightening, Uh, Even if you know you're exempt, you're sure to know someone who's going to not be prepared, and and your heart goes out to that person that you wish they they had repented in time and believed in time when, uh, while it was yet called today, the day of salvation, but they they hardened their heart, and, and like Jesus weeping for Jerusalem, you are concerned about that. But if there is no judgment... If that never happens, if there's never a last judgment, uh, then evil goes on forever. And we are troubled by it and plagued by it forever. And we know this, that on that judgment day, the heavenly judge, Jesus, 
will judge in a way that no human judge has ever been able to judge. He will judge by looking into the heart and seeing the very essence of each person who comes under judgment and giving them exactly what they deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. It will be fair. It will be just. It will be perfect judgment. And we must learn to praise God for his perfect justice, because that too is part of his glory. And we shouldn't fear that day, not only because we won't be condemned and because our enemies will be taken out of the way never to trouble us again, but we shouldn't fear that day because that's the day that he will usher us into the fullness of the salvation that is laid up for us in heaven, being kept for us. Uh, The new heavens and the new earth uh, will all be caught up together with the Lord in the air, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. The earth will be purged with fire. Then the new Jerusalem will come down and God will take up residence on that purged, cleansed earth. God will be in our midst to wipe every tear from our eyes, to give us eternal joy and happiness in his presence. It's too wonderful to be able to comprehend now. It's just, it's going to be really great. And why anyone in this life would choose the the pleasures of sin that never fully satisfy and reject that just because it's presently out of sight. We can't, we have to see it with the eyes of faith. It boggles the mind. It, it testifies to just how strong is is the power of sin to hold us in bondage and chains that, that there are so many people in the world that they hear of this glorious inheritance for the saints and they'd rather get drunk, they'd rather visit prostitutes, they'd rather steal and rob and cheat and they'd rather take bribes if they're in positions of power. They'd rather have what they think is pleasurable now and, and they just reject that. Why? It, it makes no sense. It shows you the power of sin. It shows you where you would be if it weren't for the grace of God. Where we would all be if it weren't for the grace of God. He alone has the power to break the power of sin and to create new life within us so that we can see with the eyes of faith that glorious inheritance and truly want it and look forward to it in faith and bear up under trials now because of the joy that is set before us. That's what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We now are called to suffer with Christ in this world, but for the joy that is set before us, we can endure as well. May God give you such faith. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that Jesus is at your right hand, that he is now the head of the church and has poured out spiritual gifts on the church. Help us to use those gifts and honor those gifts in others. We thank you that he is the ruler of the world and the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that nothing can happen in this world apart from his will, that even when our enemies uh, inflict pain upon us and seek to uh, to, uh, destroy the church, we are in a position where we know you will build your church and uh, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And we thank you that Christ is coming again to vindicate all believers, to uh, take all uh, the enemies uh, out of the way so they can trouble us no more, and to usher in the fullness of, our, of your eternal kingdom. 
Oh, Father, we rejoice and are glad in all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.